0: If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Our theme today uh, ties in with all of this. And again, I want you to start praying because one of the things that we really want to start doing on the west side is there's so much that had to be done to, to keep this place going every Sunday morning. It just takes a lot, a lot of volunteer hours. But now we want to start moving our volunteer hours out into the community. And so we're going to give you at least four to six great opportunities to to get to know community, things that are going on all over our community. They're doing an amazing job. So this first one, again, is at the warehouse. You'll hear more about it, but we're pumped. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, uh, what a day just to surrender to you that we can worship you, that we can praise you. Thank you for giving us so much. And Lord, help us to never take that for granted. And Lord, thank you for this day that you've set apart for all of us just to draw closer to you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. A few years ago, I was in a, a class uh, down at uh, Kentucky Christian University, and uh, it was an interesting class. Uh, they were intensive classes. On this one, it was like church administration and vision. And uh, the gentleman who was teaching it uh, is an amazing guy. His name is Alan Dunbar. At the time, he was the president of Puget Sound But before that, he was the minister of the largest Christian church in Canada. It was called Bow Valley Christian. Uh, He also served, uh, you talk about a visionary guy, on the Canadian Olympic development. So when the Olympics came to his city, he was right there making all those really tough decisions. He's that kind of guy. He is a visionary guy. I mean, uh, they had a TV program, pumped his uh, messages and his church service all over Canada. And so I couldn't wait to get in class with this guy. So here's 30 ministers, and the only requirement is you would have had to been in ministry at the time at least five years, so you got a taste of what ministry was, and then they, they would just roll. Spend a whole week with him. Right before lunch one day, uh, he said, hey, we're going to get into some really big things. So as you go to lunch, here's what I want you to be asking yourself, and I'm going to give you each one minute. Now imagine 30 ministers and giving them one minute. Yeah, that just doesn't happen well. So anyway, he said, you're going to have one minute to share your most profound worship experience. That's it. After lunch, one by one, each guy started sharing their most profound worship experience. And then when he finished up, he says, if you don't mind, I'd like to share my most profound worship experience. Now I'm thinking, oh, this guy's been in the Olympics, this guy's done all this stuff. And he said, I was with a group of high school students way up in northern Canada, and we had just finished this week of camp. And he said, if if you've ever been to the last night of camp, you know they don't get to bed early at all, and they were rowdy, so finally around midnight or so, we finally got them to their dorms. And he said, between one and two in the morning, there's a knock on my door, that's not good at a high school week of camp. And the guy said, hey, you got to come out. And he goes, well, what's going on? He goes, no, 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 just come outside with me. So he goes outside and goes, look up. And he said, those of you in the Midwest, you have no idea what the northern lights are. But let me tell you, northern Canada, they're beyond description. And that particular night, he said, I know you can't imagine this. You could almost taste the color. It was that vivid. So I said, go get them up. He said, get who up? All the campers. Tell them to meet me in the kitchen. So while they were getting all the campers, and he said, dress warm. Meet me in the kitchen and and bring, this is interesting, go ahead and bring a pillow. You don't hear that at church camp. So they get their pillows, dressed warm, go to the kitchen. And by that time, he's got this huge ladder. He sets it up. He said, I need every one of you, get your pillow, go up on the top of this roof and wait for further instructions. You imagine all these high school kids, they get up on, they can't believe it's legal. They get up on this roof, they lay down and then all of a sudden it hits them. Oh my land. And he said, it's like God is putting on a light show like you can't even imagine. And he said, it was almost like fireworks. You hear, ooh, ah. He said, then it got real quiet. And he said, one of the kids just started singing, my God is an awesome God. And he said, all of a sudden, all of us started singing, my God is an awesome God. And I stood there and I'm like, man, I am standing on holy ground. You ever been there? Absolutely you've been there. Matter of fact, here's what's interesting about those 30 guys that shared, and he pointed this out. He said, did you notice not one of you shared that your most profound experience happened? Guess where? In your church. Now, at first we're kind of bummed out, like, well, that's, that's a bad deal. And he goes, no, no, no. Here's why I want you to think about this. We limit God to a one-hour Sunday morning Time slot. Matter of fact, how many of you ever heard the phrase I'm going to what kind of service? Worship service. As if you can only worship God one hour. And it really it's not even an hour. It's really during the worship set. Who worships during the, the sermon? No one. Okay, see? But here's what's amazing: if you step back and think, Wow, you mean worship is every breath I take. Worship is allowing God to literally take your life. And almost drive you speechless to your knees. That's worship. And God desires that for everybody that's here today. I don't know if you got a chance this week to get outside, but the supermoon? Oh, my land. If that didn't blow you away, seriously, do you have a pulse? I mean, really. That was just amazing. And Monday night was cool, but I got to tell you, I thought Tuesday night was better. Just the color of it was amazing. We've never seen anything like that since 1948. We won't have another supermoon until 2034, according to NASA. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how God reveals his glory and how we can be amazed day in and day out. And there's two ways that our worship can just grow deeper. Matt Redmond said this, God reveals and we reply. God acts and we're amazed. God shines and we reflect. This is the life of worship. Matthew chapter 14. If you want to get deeper in your worship experience, here's the first way to do that, is prayer. Prayer. Now it's interesting, in order for us to comprehend what's going on here in Matthew 14, you almost have to go all the way back to verse 1. So I just want to do a real quick summary of what's going on. In the very beginning of that chapter, here's what's introduced. Now imagine this day. Uh, we're told that John the Baptist is uh, thrown in prison, and you know the story. Then he's murdered, he's beheaded, and they bury his body. And then the disciples of John travel to tell Jesus that John the Baptist has died. Now you've got to remember, this is his cousin. This isn't just a guy that's paving the way. This is his cousin. This is blood. And he can't, uh, can't really handle how brutal that was. But that's how his day started. Imagine that. And then you get to verse 13, and it says, And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He withdrew privately to a solitary place. If you're taking notes, uh, you might want to write this down about Jesus and this rhythm of prayer. There are 35 specific sections of Scripture where prayer is the focus in the New Testament. There are 30 events in the New Testament and the Gospels where prayer is the focus. We see this all the time in the rhythm of Jesus' life. He will invest heavily in people. He is moved to compassion, to minister to others. And then what does he usually do? He'll withdraw. And how does he withdraw? By himself. And he'll recharge his life, and then he'll go right back to the people. But there's this constant rhythm. You see, prayer, much like worship, if we're not careful, we frame worship as an hour on Sunday. Sometimes we do that with prayer. Prayer's what I do 15 minutes on a given morning. That's not prayer. Prayer is constantly reconnecting with God. He wants all of us to have that rhythm. All of us have these times in our life when we're drained because of people. How many of you had at least a day this week where somebody just wore you out? Some individual. Don't yell their name out. But just like, God, I'm so thankful you love them. But right now, I'm having a hard time. You ever had that kind of person? All of us. Have, matter of fact, you might be the person, okay? We all have these rhythms in life where we just need to withdraw. So many people choose countless ways to escape, but man, how about escaping with God? Matter of fact, I don't think I'm alone, but the iPhone has changed my life. Has it changed yours? Yeah, we're all shallow, okay? Here's the deal about the iPhone. What's just as important as the iPhone is the charger. Am I correct? Have you ever been in a situation when that, you can just literally see it dying and your soul is dying with it? Oh, no. Oh, no, we're down to four. Three, two, and then oh, get the charger, and you can't find the charger. Life stops. Where's the charger? Where is, okay, what's the purpose of that? It's so you can reconnect. And it's the exact same thing with prayer. Prayer's like saying, man, God, I've just got to recharge. Man, I've got this battery in my own life. My soul is just kind of depleting, and I just need to get away. I need to spend time with you. And then I want to start moving forward. Prayer's critical here. You've heard us share that time and time again on the west side. And our prayer team, I'm so excited as we go into 2017, there's some areas they're working hard on. They want to create a prayer bench or two. We've tried pillows and it's been hard, but we want to create some spaces so that throughout the service, And after the service, that you have a place just to get away and pray. And to pray with others, that's critical. The prayer room, we want to expand. We want more people praying, especially with two services. And we want to expand prayer warriors. You may not feel comfortable praying with someone, but you can pray for someone. So you're going to hear about opportunities that we want to make prayer so real here on the West Side. Now look at verses 14 through 21. We see Jesus, after his heart's been broken, after he goes away in solitude, it says he sees a huge crowd, and what's the emotion? (coughs) Compassion. I mean, there it is again. And does Jesus just turn away and go, you know what, I'm having my quiet time? No. Jesus totally invests in the people that are there. He experiences their brokenness, their desire for hope, and he completely invests his life into them. And then an interesting thing happens. Verses 22 and 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat, go on ahead of him, onto the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside. What? By himself to pray. And when evening came, He was there alone, but he was never alone. It was his way again to just recharge with his heavenly father, to just stay in line with him and to keep moving forward because nothing drains us more than the people that need us. We know that. We all know that. And God knows that. I want to ask you something. I love to read scripture sometime and just imagine, put myself there, And here's a question that I would ask. When Jesus is up on that mountain, now remember, he's just heard word that John the Baptist died. He's just invested completely in this multitude of people. He's up on this mountain. What do you think he was praying about for hours by himself on that mountain? And what do you think? I think, first of all, he prayed for, and I think he cried for John. Like, man, God, I knew this had to happen. I know that he was paving the way, but the fact that he had to die like that and that, that his followers had to bury him the way that, that he was humiliated. He was, it said, he was the greatest man born of woman and he had to die like that. I think it just broke his heart. And again, that was his flesh and blood. I can't imagine the pain up there on that mountain. I think he prayed for those countless people, that feeding of the 5,000. You know, those are people. Imagine Jesus reaching out, imagine the little boy bringing the fish, imagine everything that took place that day. And Jesus, you know, those faces and all the need, he's just praying. There's so many hurting people. And then you know who I really think he was praying for? The guys that brought him across the lake, those disciples. I think he was praying for his friends like, wow, I think they're getting it. I think they're beginning to draw closer to me, closer to what you've laid out for them. And I just think, I I really do. I think one by one, he, he was praying by name, like, Lord, be with Peter, be with John. I mean, I think he's going all the way down that list. And I think he's looking out at the lake and he sees that boat and he sees those disciples. And I think his heart was so heavy, but yet he knew there was a mission. So my question this week is, what have you been praying for? I mean, I've asked myself the same. What have I been praying for? Am I praying for hurting people? or Am I praying for the people that are closest in my life? What is breaking my heart? What am I praying for? And then I love what happens because it happens in life so often. You get to verse 24. Would you follow with me? Verse 23, or excuse me, 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So I want you to see what's going on. It's estimated Jesus was on that mountain at least nine hours, and he's looking out in the distance. And because of the time of the year, they think this was really close to the Passover time, so it was probably a full moon. And he's looking out over this beautiful Sea of Galilee, and the wind picks up. Now here's something about the Sea of Galilee that I I think is really interesting. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It is surrounded by hills, and some of those hills are actually 2,000 feet high. Cool air pours out of those large hills down into the Sea of Galilee. And I mean when a wind kicks up because the lake is actually shallow, the size of that lake, that it can create waves in an instant. It can be an extremely dangerous place. They said the closest comparison is the Great Lake Erie. Matter of fact, they call Lake Erie in the United States, Lake Moody. Lake Moody. I think I took her to my senior prom. You know what I'm saying? And here's the deal. Jesus fills the wind. Imagine this coming through. He looks out over the Sea of Galilee, and there in the distance, he sees the boat, and he sees the men. And these are, remember, a lot of these guys are fishermen, and he can already sense the panic. And don't you love the scene of Jesus praying, praying, and then what's he do next? Anybody remember? He starts walking towards the sea. Now, they really believe that because of the full moon, and probably this was just very early morning hours, somewhere between four and six, that it's obvious they can see Jesus just slowly coming down. And then when he hits the water, uh, I absolutely love this scene. It starts in verse 27. Jesus said, but Jesus said immediately to them, take courage, don't be afraid as he's walking on the water. Really? And don't you love the phrase that says, and they were terrified? I think they were. Wouldn't you be? One minute the waves are kicking up over the boat, and the next minute you look up, and here's the moon, and and everything is just going on, and, and all of a sudden there's Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. And imagine how their hearts were pounding. Through the fear, through the tears, through the sweat, they couldn't believe what was going on. And then it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire Bible. It's one that I absolutely love. As Jesus gets close enough that they can hear him, somebody yells out from the boat, if you tell me to get out of this boat, Lord, that's all you have to, you tell me to get out of this boat, and I'm getting out of the boat. Now, who do you think that was? Yeah, it wasn't John. Certainly wasn't Judas. Okay, who was it? It was Peter. Of course it's Peter. And here's what I love. Jesus simply says, come on and get out of the boat. Now, think about that. I absolutely love the fact that Jesus said, I know you're terrified, but it's time to get out of the boat. Rick Warren said this, how do you know that God's at the center of your life? Well, when God's at the center, you worship. But when he's not, you worry. Isn't that a decision we make every day? I can either stress and I can worry or I can just give this to God. And in that moment with the waves beating up against the boat, 11 of those guys made a decision. They were going to worry. And I think Peter, without even realizing it, realized this is a moment of worship because here's the second thing if you want to draw close to God. Is you gotta totally surrender. And that's what he did. He totally surrendered. Now, let me ask you something. Where are you this morning? Because here's life it isn't a case of will we have storms. Some of you are, you're really in the eye of the hurricane right now. Some of you are going through a storm right now and you are leaning in and you just want to hear Christ challenge you you desperately want to move forward, but you feel paralyzed. It's coming. The storms in life are always right there, but we have a Savior always reaching out to us, saying, I love you, but here's the deal. You have to take risk. You have to be willing to challenge yourself. You have to move closer to me because that takes faith to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Would you agree it's easy to complain and to whine. It's easy to actually just show up at church. But seriously, when the storms come and you surrender to him, man, that's a whole nother level. And I love the fact that Peter is willing to get out of the boat. I guarantee you every parent here, every grandparent here, you've all been through this similar experience. How many of you remember your kids or your grandkids when you took the training wheels off the first time. Would you raise your hand? Do you remember the experience when you took the training wheels off your kid's bike? Good, I'm six or seven now. you be good. A lot, of, a lot of parents out here with kids that can't ride bikes. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I, rem, I was thinking about this the other day. My, my oldest daughter, Rachel, uh, has always been just tiny and feisty. I, I, I always love that about Rachel. And you know how you are with the first child. You're so protective. And so uh, I think she rode with those training wheels till she was like, I think, 19. But anyway, she, <laughs> she had these training wheels, and we'd go through this. Okay, now, Rachel, here's what you do here. Now. So one day, she just had had enough. She's like, Dad, she didn't say seriously. She was like four, but she's like, you know, take the training wheels off. So you know, I'm like, okay, so Rachel, here's how it works. Now, when you fall, daddy's here, and boy, that's that's reassuring. You know, when you bloody your knee, and you know, when you go to the hospital. So anyway, I'm like, now when you fall, uh, don't worry about it. You just gotta get right back up. You know, winners get up. And, and you know, she's she doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. So anyway, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take I'm taking the train wheels, you know, um, and I feel terrible. She didn't wear a helmet. So anyway, she puts on uh she just puts this attitude on, she's gonna get it done. And you know how dads are. You know, moms are don't push her, and dads are like, oh, yeah, I'm pushing. And so we go through that whole thing, and I remember pushing her, and I see her start pedaling. I mean, Rachel just got fired up, went around the driveway, and my, like, oh, that's so good. And she took a left, and then I just watched her pedal all the way around this huge yard and came back. And when she got back to me, it's almost like she dropped the mic on me. She's like, you know, dropped the bike. She looked at me like, why did it take you so long to get the wheels off? I mean, that's the attitude. And I love that. Now, as a parent, what would I have done if she would have, if she'd have just completely wiped out? Well, I would have picked her up. I said, man, I'm so thankful that you gave it a shot. Now, here's the deal. You know this with parents and grandparents. You go from training wheels, then it's kindergarten, and then they get a key, and then they start driving, and then they start dating, Okay. All that process, what are do you doing? You're just letting them go. Now, is, is it painful? Yeah, because you know what? You know they're going to fail just like you did. So you know when Jesus reached out and Peter fell, and he sank. You know, it was painful for Peter. And I think, in, in all honesty, I've heard, I can't tell you how many sermons I've preached to myself, I've taught it myself, is, oh, look at Peter. He looked all around. How many ever heard that sermon? He's looked all around. And the storm beat down. Oh, boy, you can lay it on thick on preaching. You know. And the storm, what's the storms in your, I mean, and then he sank because he had no faith. That's how I always preach that. And then I thought, wait a second. There's 11 boat huggers, and there's one guy out on the water. You know what I'm saying? One. It's Peter. And I think when Jesus reached down and he said, oh, Peter, you just, you doubted. Where's your faith? I don't think it was like he's scolding him. I think it's like a parent that holds your kid close. It's like, man, you are so close. I really believe that. I think he saw something in Peter. I think, the, I think his heart was pounding. That guy just got out of the boat. That guy got out of the boat. Years ago, my mom used to tell me about uh, a guy named Will Rogers. Some of you that are a little older uh, know that... Uh, he was a columnist. He was a political humorist out of Oklahoma, and uh, he died in 1935. Uh, and on YouTube, you can still hear some of his stuff. He was brilliant uh, at the way that he would weave stories together. But I want, wanted to share a paragraph. What he shared, uh, this was during the Depression and right around World War I. And I want you to hear his words. I love this. Um, he delighted his audience's about World War I, when he told them, Germany couldn't understand how the United States could get trained men to Europe so quickly. What the Germans didn't understand, Rogers explained, was that in our training manual, there's nothing about retreating. When you only have to teach an army to go one way, you can do it in half the time. I love that. You know what Jesus did with Peter and all of those disciples in his manual? He never taught them about doubt. He never taught them about fear. He never told them how to float when you sink. All Jesus did is say, you got to get out of the boat. To everybody here, there's times in your life, man, you just got to get out of the boat. All of us have those times that we got to get out of the boat. And I want you to think about this. If you fast forward, he sunk that night. No doubt about it. Peter sunk that night. But isn't it interesting when you follow the timeline and you see Jesus Christ killed, like he told him that was going to happen, and then you see the resurrection, and then you see his ascension, And Jesus goes to heaven. And then what's amazing is, says the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the disciples and the followers. And they were in Jerusalem. And they knew at that moment, somebody needed to stand up. Somebody for the very first time needed to tell everybody around, you need to hear the story of Jesus Christ. You need to hear the whole story. You need to hear about how you killed him. And how he defeated death. And how anyone that gives their life to Jesus Christ... We'll have hope. You need to hear that. And if you're going to kill me, I could care less. You know what happened? 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Now, who do you think delivered that message? It was not the 11 boat huggers. It was Peter. And when I get to heaven, that's one guy I can't wait to meet. I can't wait to fall at the feet of Jesus And I'm like, I want to meet the other guy that walked on the water. I hope all of you, including myself, will just keep saying, Lord, challenge me, push me. And let me just personally thank all of you, seriously, on the west side, because you got out of the boat. Do you know how easy it would have been not to do anything? But you got out of the boat. You said, hey, this looks risky, but I'm willing to take a risk. Let's just see what could happen across town. Let's just see what God can do. And I want to just close with this powerful powerful verse. It's verse 32 and 33. Peter gets into the boat, Jesus gets in the boat, and says and when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, those that were there in the boat worshiped him, saying truly you are the son of God. Worship You want to know what worship is? There it is. It's completely giving it to God. 100%. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that night? The waves calm down, and they're just drenched, and they've just watched Peter sink, and they've watched Jesus pick him up, and they get in the boat, and then isn't it amazing that the very first thing they do is they just worship, because why? They knew, I'm in the presence of the Son of God. That's worship. It's every moment, every breath that we take, that we know we are in the presence of God, that His presence is with us, and that can be 24-7, and that's what I love about God. I want to pray for you this morning because, again, I know some of you are in a storm right now, and I want to pray for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, We want to worship you. We want to worship you as if you own everything. And we want to surrender completely to you. That's where worship begins. It's not narrowed down to an hour on Sunday morning, Lord. It's every breath that we take, we can surrender to you. You are in control. And Lord, I know that there are people here right now, and they're going through a storm, and they just sense that you're calling them. And Lord, just... Help them to be in your presence. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you walked with us and that you bled with us and you cried with us and you died for us because you love us. So Lord, be with all those here that are struggling and all those that just need to take the next step of faith. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.